0: Welcome to Is It Pompey Disease? on the Hereditary Diseases pod. In this series, neurologists and co-authors of the current Pompey Disease consensus recommendations, Associate Professor Robert Henderson and Associate Professor Andrew Kornberg discuss Pompey Disease, a rare but treatable neuromuscular disorder. In this episode, they outline the essentials of Pompey Disease and explore the signs and symptoms that should raise suspicion and prompt further investigation.
1: Hello and welcome to Is It Pompey Disease? In this series, we take an in-depth look at the rare but treatable neuromuscular disorder called Pompey Disease. With my colleague, Associate Professor Robert Henderson, we will discuss the recently published consensus recommendations in Australia that aim to help clinicians recognise and diagnose Pompey disease earlier. We will also discuss a number of case studies, both from Robert and myself, that will uh, highlight the importance of diagnosing this disorder earlier. I'd just like to introduce Associate Professor Robert Henderson. Uh, Rob, welcome to our first podcast. Thanks, Andrew. I'm excited to be here. We were co authors on the paper, which was published in 2020, with regard to Is It Pompey Disease and the way we've gone about it in Australia? And it was published in an international journal, uh, Neuromuscular Disorders. And I do uh, suggest our listeners to read the paper because I think it actually gives a beautiful summary of Pompey disease and the steps towards it. So, Rob, maybe you could just talk a little bit about the new guidelines uh, as as we publish them.
2: Thanks, Andrew. Yes, the, the uh, new guidelines are a, an algorithm for clinicians, and they're helpful to provide an update on diagnosis and management, and they put it in the Australian settings, but um, it provides the opportunity to link Uh, neurologists, respiratory physicians, geneticists and laboratory experts who've all contributed to this new guidelines. So I think its main outcome is to raise awareness of Pompe disease. So it does that by highlighting the right tests that should be performed for the diagnosis and also provides an algorithm for the management and how this disease should be approached.
1: Why don't we just do a a little bit of a background on what Pompey disease is. So um, would you like to talk about that uh, for us? Yes, thanks
2: Andrew. Uh, Pompey disease is a a rare lysosomal storage uh, disorder. The lysosome is one of those interesting parts of the cells that uh, we've become a bit more aware of its function. So it's uh, an organelle with digestive enzymes and these enzymes are particularly important to muscle. So in Pompey disease, you have a deficiency of one of these enzymes called acid alpha glucosidase, and uh, that's often abbreviated as GAA. And
1: how do people get this disease?
2: And it's inherited as autosomal recessive. So that means you need to have two mutations, uh, one from each of your parents. And uh, if you get both of those, then uh, you'll develop the disease.
1: Rob, what is the natural disease course of Pompey disease?
2: So the major thing that we see, Andrew, is muscle weakness, and it is often not recognised for years or even decades that people will first notice symptoms. The pattern of weakness is, in Pompe disease, a little bit different from any of the more common neuromuscular diseases, because what you see is a pattern of weakness that involves muscles quite close to the middle of the body. And sometimes that's called limb girdle muscular dystrophy, but it's even closer muscles. So it's the muscles that support the lower back that show weakness. And what's particularly important is that the respiratory muscles can be involved. Also, the natural history will be of death from a respiratory failure if it's not recognised.
1: One of the things is uh, that in children, it presents in a, in a very different way. So we have really two broad groups uh, that present in childhood. One is the infantile onset, uh, so essentially from birth, and those children have both muscle, cardiac muscle and respiratory issues. And then there's a later onset, uh, juvenile onset Pompe disease, where, in fact, many kids may not have too much in a way of symptoms or symptoms which are really... um, Non specific for anything. The only other point I'd like to make is as you see, Rob, that this is a progressive disease. So over time, things get worse, and obviously, with respiratory failure, people die. Rob, I guess um, the question I have is, what are the current practices for screening and clinical evaluation for this condition?
2: For adult people with Pompey disease, there really isn't any widespread pattern of screening or clinical evaluation. So Really, one important point of this podcast is to raise awareness of the the typical clinical presentation. There may be an elevation of one of the standard muscle enzymes that commonly gets tested called the creatinine kinase, but there really isn't any uh, current practice amongst adult Pompey patients for screening, and it really comes down to that clinical evaluation.
1: Interestingly, I think lots of people do uh, uh, CK levels, uh, which you mentioned which is an enzyme test which is elevated typically in Pompey disease but can be seen to be elevated in lots of disorders both mild disorders and more severe disorders such as muscular dystrophy so your point is really really important um, you might do a test like a CK but that's not a diagnosis you actually have to go further and try to make a diagnosis when you see that elevation in particular if there is some associated muscle weakness or something like that. The point really is, is putting Pompey disease in the differential diagnosis for anyone who presents with either muscle weakness, respiratory muscle weakness or an elevated CK because unlike many other neuromuscular disorders, Pompey disease is treatable.
2: I totally agree. Um, It's that ability to... um treat and also the multidisciplinary care that we're going to touch on in the later podcast that really make this a disease that's um, well worth identifying. So I think in Australia, we probably aren't meeting the uh, number that we would expect based on population studies. So it highlights that there are patients out there with Pompey disease that we're not making the diagnosis and we should be trying to make the diagnosis sooner, particularly with the ability to uh, provide treatment as well as the multidisciplinary care.
1: I'd like to describe the different groups uh, of how people present. So there's the infantile onset uh, Pompe disease, which, as I mentioned before, presents at birth. Uh, They may not have symptoms at birth, but indeed if you knew that that child was affected, you could find that there were already abnormalities at the time of birth. But in the typical infantile onset Pompey disease, the typical presentation is a child who has muscle weakness. Um, so the child may be floppy, may be weak, there may be some signs of tongue being bigger, tongue hypertrophy there may be respiratory issues, they may have a cardiomyopathy, which really means that the heart itself is affected. And this happens in the first few months of life when they actually come to see doctors. And then you've got the later onset uh, kids where they may not have much in the way of symptoms, except for an elevated CK or some muscle pain. And it's worth saying that um, one of the reasons for delayed diagnosis is
2: there is a wide clinical spectrum. So it's not like patients all present exactly the same way, but the classic description is going to be that you've got weakness and that weakness is gonna manifest in walking and going upstairs. And even if, say, if you fall over and you've got to get up from the ground, It's just quite difficult if you've got Pompey disease due to the pattern of muscle weakness. And, you know, the other group that's really important is the patients who present with respiratory weakness. And sometimes that can be uh, quite subtle when it presents. And it might just be that you wake up with a morning headache or that you wake a few more times during the night than you thought you normally would, or that you're using a few extra pillows at night. So those are probably the more common clinical presentations,
1: but uh, in truth, it really is quite wide. And I think that at the end of this podcast, we're hoping that people think about Pompey disease in the evaluation of individuals who might have non-specific symptoms such as muscle weakness or floppiness or respiratory uh, failure. All those things should be thought as could be caused by Pompey disease and to put this into perspective in children who have infantile onset Pompey disease if they are untreated these children will almost certainly die but within 12 months to 24 months there are some children who might live a little bit longer but the vast majority 80% of children will die by the age of 12 months from cardiac or respiratory failure Now, this child presented to us at the children's hospital at seven months of age. Okay, But indeed, what had happened was that this child was thought to be floppy from early on, from four to six weeks at their first assessment by the um, maternal uh, welfare sister. She was a little bit worried about this child's tone. She described it as floppy. So this child was then referred to the general practitioner. The general practitioner then referred the child on to a physiotherapist. The physiotherapist tried to do some extra exercises, thought that the child should then go and see a pediatrician. The pediatrician said, it's a floppy child. It's very likely that he will improve over time. In fact, did not improve. He got worse. He became more floppy and it was obviously weaker. And then he was admitted to a a hospital and was evaluated. And what the doctors did was they did liver function tests and a CK, and that's where they noted the elevated CK level. So as part of the workup, the uh, child then saw a cardiologist because it was breathing very quickly. And lo and behold, the child had a very large heart. And the... uh, Cardiologist said a large heart with a floppy child, this could be Pompey disease. Then this child was referred to us at the children's and we made the diagnosis very, very quickly. But due to the severity of the cardiac disease, this child was already in a worse prognostic group. We did treat the child, it did make um, some gains, but unfortunately, at two and a half years of age, passed away from uh, respiratory illness related to the cardiac uh, disease that the child had. So, you know, obviously this case, uh, there were warning signs and very, very early on, there was a delayed diagnosis, which ultimately was not uh, the way we want uh, these children to be diagnosed. You know, there's obviously diagnostic delay because no one thought of the diagnosis.
2: Absolutely. What I was hearing was that it was a shame that a kid wasn't diagnosed earlier when, you know, potentially uh, treatment options were available. One of the big differences obviously from the adult to the paediatric is that cardiomyopathy, which is the enlarged heart, is quite a difference between the infantile and the adult forms. But the shared symptoms lead people to think of other diagnoses uh, and, you know, it overlaps with other types of muscle disorders. But I think you've hit the nail on the head, Andrew, that it's just the lack of awareness. If you don't think of it, you won't do the right test.
1: Yeah, One of the things I thought about in, in, in that child is, you know, that there were plenty of times along the course of this child's early illness where, as a minimum, a blood test for a CK could have been done. And indeed, uh, that CK level being high would have prompted a whole lot of investigations and an earlier diagnosis. There is a condition called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And in children with DMD will have delayed walking, may have autistic-like features or poor language. And indeed, over many years, by harping on those non-specific symptoms, boys who present to a general practitioner or to a pediatrician and they've got language delay or delayed walking, a CK is done. And maybe we need to have that same sort of a message for a floppy child who's not actually getting better, that a CK should be done early. And one of the things that I think we need to do as Neurologists and other opinion leaders is, in fact, teach people, the younger people, to maybe see the kids who are floppy and weak as being a different group to a floppy child. The healthcare professionals involved in uh, patient care, in particularly in pediatrics, would be general practitioners, the nurses who do their first assessments at six weeks, and paediatricians, and also neurologists. So I think they're the key healthcare professionals. But then You've got um, physiotherapists who would see these patients. What would it be in the adult world, Rob?
2: Yeah, I think it'd be similar. So the rheumatologists see uh, patients who present with muscle weakness and this always secondary fatigue. They'd be an important group. Respiratory physicians would see the patients who actually present um, with the respiratory symptoms. And then neurologists have been the traditional people who've largely been seeing patients where there's a neuromuscular uh, or muscle disorder. But I I think um, probably the physiotherapists are another group that um, are worth highlighting because they're often involved in seeing these patients who present with the um, proximal muscle weakness or that weakness in core strength.
1: I have an adult neuromuscular clinic, which I do... um, once a month, I've started to look at, uh, well, actually, it's not just started, it's been over the last few years, patients who have presented with just hyper CKemia, so high levels of CK with very little in the way of other symptoms. I'm actually now testing them all for Pompe disease. There was a Spanish neuromuscular clinic where they looked at their group of patients of, without a diagnosis. And they actually had, in their group of patients, about 10% of the idiopathic hyperCKEMias. So no other cause found. They had Pompey disease. So maybe we need to think harder about those patients as well. But I think there are key lessons for neurologists, pediatricians, cardiologists, uh, here that Pompe disease can present in a variety of different ways. So, in particular, in the adult world, a person might see a respiratory physician rather than a neurologist first. In childhood, some children with juvenile onset may have seen a gastroenterologist because they may be severely constipated as part of their diagnosis, or they may have abnormal liver function tests, which are really part of the enzyme abnormalities from the muscles. I do recommend uh, people reading that paper for a review on Pompey disease and I think the sources of further information are all contained in that paper. I just want to thank you Rob for participating in this first podcast and I look forward to talking to you very soon and continuing our discussions on Pompey disease. Thank you Andrew.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this important discussion on Pompey disease. For more information about testing for Pompey disease, please visit sanofigenzymeonline.com.au forward slash diagnostics. And don't forget to check the episode notes for resources, references and links. Please join us next time as we continue to examine Pompey disease and how it can be identified and diagnosed earlier.